Smith was tired from a strenuous day. He was relieved just to spend a few moments going over the tunes that had been given to him by his friend, and as he hummed over one after another, one struck his fancy. And he glanced at the words, and he noticed that the words were patriotic. He searched around, he didn't like the words that he saw, he searched around, found a, a small slip of paper, got out a pen, and began to write down as he tapped on the desk, and this is what he wrote, My country, tis of thee, sweet land of liberty, of thee I sing. Land where my fathers died, land of the pilgrim's pride, from every mountainside, let freedom ring. I don't know if you know the second verse or not, but many times we don't sing it. Our Father's God to thee, author of liberty, to thee we sing. Long may our land be bright with freedom's holy light. Protect us by thy might, great God our King. If you would go back and look at the preamble of our Constitution, you'd find some very strongly pronounced values. If you'd listen to excerpts from the Gettysburg Address, you would find, once again, some very strong values. In 1892, a Baptist minister by the name of Francis Bellamy wrote these words, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. You may not be aware today, but the words, in God we trust, can be traced to the efforts of a Reverend W.R. Watkinson. He wrote a letter to the Honorable S.P. Chase that was dated November 13, 1861, and after that, the words, In God We Trust, were placed on our coins. Now these important foundational materials are full of value-laden terms, values of liberty, nobility, bravery, peace, unity, justice, and God. And yes, this nation has its foundation and under it a very specific morality drawn from Judeo-Christian ethics that were bound up in its heritage. In the Gettysburg Address, he says a couple of times, Lincoln's does, under God, under God. Many do not know that about eight of the signers of the Declaration of Independence have been taught by a man who was the head of a religious school and they have that root in them as they compose that Declaration of Independence. But now, every major institution, the church, the home, and the state, and almost every major traditional value is under attack, and our morality from both a social norm perspective, remember that, and a personal perspective, is under attack and decaying fast. The Bible illustrates in a passage of scripture similar that there was a situation in the past that was much like ours. It was with David in the 11th Psalm in the third verse. Evidently, there was something going on. The foundations were in trouble and David was facing a crisis. And we find out in the 11th Psalm in the third verse, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? I'd like you to do something that maybe you don't get to do a lot. Repeat after me. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Now that is a question that can be asked in our society because even as Jewish society was under attack because of King Saul's unrighteous rule, the foundations of American society are under attack. They are being destroyed. You must remember and you must know that the foundations of American society are biblical. 
Have you been noticing the war that has been waged over the Supreme Court justice nomination? That is a war over the values of America. Why are they fighting so hard over one Supreme Court justice? Because it is between two totally different value systems. Between the those who are liberal and those who are conservative. Those who want to live by the Bible and those who do not. And it's important to realize that many of us have come to understand the fight or flight syndrome. And David had a choice to make. Was he going to fight for the nation of Israel? Was he going to run? We've got a choice to make. Are we going to fight for the values of, of America? Or are we going to give in to the next powerful lobby that comes along? So we have a values crisis in America. The very foundations upon which this nation rests are being destroyed. And since those foundations are biblical, in actuality the Bible is what is under attack. Let's explore some breakdown of biblical values in America. The most powerful values programmer today is the TV and the media. The media has made us more aware of the worldwide cataclysmic changes that are going on. And our values in the area of honesty and conscience have been destroyed. Let's talk a minute about Watergate. For Watergate still stares us in the face. And some political scientists say that Watergate will affect the political climate of this country for the next 100 years. Think about the children who are value programming right now, who are, who are getting their value as they came up, and, and many of you were in, during this age, when Nixon, when they found out that Nixon was a crook. Think about it. And that this nation let him off with a slap on the hand. Therefore, many of us have been value programmed with the value, don't not do it, just don't get caught. A lot of people feel that way. It's not that we shouldn't sin, but you shouldn't get caught. And it's dumb if you get caught. With the event of the electronic media, I want you to understand that TV became, began to value program an entire generation. I, you know, when I normally talk on a Sunday morning or Wednesday night, I'm talking to people much older than you, and so I have to kind of change gears because I'm talking about you. You have been value programmed by the TV. Most of what you believe in comes from the TV. Now, a lot of you would argue with me and say it's the Bible, but it's not the Bible. We spend very little time in the Bible compared to how much time we probably watched TV when we were growing up. It was a major value programmer. It assumed the roles of babysitter. Many of you were probably raised by the TV. It was a babysitter. Your mother or your father walked away from home and set you in front of the TV and said, watch that. Amen. And you did watch it. And you picked up many values. It became mother, it became father, it became teacher, it became hero creator, and nothing in our generation has escaped TV's impact. I'm quoting now from Morris Massey's book, it's called The People Puzzle, on the role of the media. A very important consideration of media as a value programming force relates to the control of information. Before the advent of mass media, the family, the churches, and the schools censored what information came into your mind. But with the electronic media, young people began to come in contact with information that was not censored by these traditional sources. Furthermore, the amount of time spent with TV increased significantly so that in today's world, you as young people are probably in more direct contact with the media than with any other programming force. 
I praise God that you're on a Christian campus because some of this then won't apply to you. Hopefully you're not spending a large amount of time watching TV. But I want you to think about this. One example will suffice. By the time the average child is 15 years old, he will have witnessed the violent destruction of more than 13,000 human beings on TV. In Falls Church, Virginia, PTA members kept their eyes fixed on TV programs through the hours that children would be watching them. They observed 185 programs for 114 and a half hours and saw 281 assaults, 117 killings, 19 robberies, 16 kidnappings, 10 murder conspiracies, 3 arsons, 3 extortions, 3 jailbreaks, 1 lynching, 1 bombing, and 1 suicide. And we wonder what's wrong with people in America. We've got the same problem surrounding the value issues of law and rules. Think about this. We are growing up in a nation where we are teaching people to disobey laws. I can see many of you when you were growing up, and perhaps you do it now, how can you talk to somebody about law and rules, sit in church at a great institution like this, listen to John MacArthur talk about law and rules, go out and get in your car and turn on your fuzz buster. Something that is set up specifically to defeat the laws of the land. When it comes to the value of life, we need to remember that many of us, we are in such a state that we are in trouble. Abortion is at an all-time high, and we have no value for life. Parents are abusing and killing young children. Children are shooting their parents. We see all of this because of our values. And think about authority. Now there was a time when we obeyed people. Now when you look at me, I'm not that much older than you. I don't think. And I remember that when I was growing up, I was taught to say yes ma'am and yes sir. No ma'am and no sir, to respect authority, whoever it was. Now people don't respect the church, they don't respect police, they don't respect themselves, they don't respect America, they don't respect God. There was a time in my life, growing up where I grew up, is that if they said, you know what, I'll call the police on you, man, we would start running. I'm talking about gone. Because you know, if my father or my mother would, would get a hold of that, I would be in some serious trouble. I see kids on the street today, and you, and you say, I'll call the police. They say, call them. <laughs> call out the National Guard if you want to. I'll be here when they get here. They have no respect for authority. And in the area of personal roles, people don't know what roles to play anymore. Husbands can't figure out whether they ought to be husbands or wives. Wives have gone back to the workforce in large numbers and left the children and homes of America unattended. We have men who can't figure out if they are men and women who think they are. And still we're confused. To get a flavor of the impact of this kind of gut-wrenching, overwhelming change upon older generations, I'd like to refer to a letter that is an excerpt from a foreword of Tom Wicker's great songs of the 60s. Let me quote, Dear Mr. Editor, a few ideas as we travel back through memory lane. Let me, let me find the faculty. Where's the, where's the faculty at? All right, over here, all eyes on them. Okay, I want you to respond as you hear this. And I want you to respond to it too. Listen to this. If you are a Native American and you are old enough, you will probably remember when you never dreamed 
our country could ever lose. When you took for granted that women and the elderly and the clergy were to be respected. And when you went to church and found spiritual food. When the clergy talked about religion. When a girl was a girl and a boy was a boy and they liked each other. You will probably remember when taxes were only a nuisance. When you knew your creditors and you paid your debts. When the poor were too proud to take charity and when the words care, concern, poverty and ghetto were ordinary words and not overworked. When you knew the law and the law meant justice and you had a feeling of protection and appreciation at the sight of a policeman. When young fellows tried to join the army and the navy. When songs had a tune. When you bragged about your home state and your hometown and when politicians proclaimed their patriotism. You will remember when clerks in the store tried to please you and when our government stood up for Americans anywhere in the world. When a man who went wrong was blamed, not his mother's nursing habits or his father's income. When everyone knew the difference between right and wrong, when you considered yourself to be lucky to have a job and was glad to have one. You may remember when people expected less and valued what they had more, when riots were unthinkable, when you took it for granted that the law would be enforced and that your safety protected, when our flag was a sacred symbol and when America was a land of the free and the home of the brave. Do you remember when or do you? Well, see, if you're over 40, all those people over 40, raise your hand. It's going to be tough for them. Nobody's over 40. If you're over 40, you nodded your head all the way through. If you're under 40, you probably cringed at such rhetoric. And the only way you wouldn't is because you've been brought up by parents who have traditional values and you can relate to some of that. All of this is growing out of an educational and philosophical religious hothouse called humanism. And there are five tenets of humanism. Evolution, atheism, amorality, complete individual freedom, and one world government. We have a choice to make. Will we remain stable and try to fight to reinstate those values that made this nation great? Or will we try to escape the problem by giving in to the most powerful lobby? Now, I've spent a lot of time delineating the problem. And I've done that because before we can give you any answers to the problem, you need to realize that there is a problem. The cataclysmic changes are going on in our nation and we are losing our values our biblical value. So let's deal with the question that we proposed earlier. If the foundations of American society, well I guess I can get rid of that and say since the foundations of American society are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? I like to propose seven things that the righteous can do. Seven things that the righteous can do. Number one, the righteous can pray. Second Chronicles 7.14, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way, then would I hear from heaven and forgive their sins and heal the land. Are you praying? You go to a religious school, but that's not what I asked you. I asked you, are you praying? There's so many times in an environment like this, you can forget you're so busy to do classwork, to do homework, to do everything, but you can forget to take time to pray to God Almighty. When should you pray? Well, I don't know. I'm going to give you what I, what I think and when I think you ought to pray. According to the Bible, you ought to pray in the morning. That's what time Abraham got up and Joshua got up and Moses got up and Jesus got up. And everybody got up in the morning. 
How can you give God the best part of your day? How can you give him the first fruit of your life if you don't give him the morning? Some of you say, I can't get up in the morning. Not unless you go to bed at night. Then a lot of you are, are planning on God waking you up for prayer. And I want to tell you, don't plan on God. Use your own discipline. Get an alarm clock. A lot of folks are praying, Lord, wake me up in the morning so that I might pray to you. No, get an alarm clock. And then put it way across the room. So you can't hit that snooze button. And then get up and walk over to it and then get on your knees and take some time alone with God in his word and praying to him. You talk to him and let him talk to you. We need prayer. If this nation does not pray, remember that the Bible says every nation that forgets God shall be turned into hell. And when the children of Israel went down into captivity in Egypt, everybody went. Those who were doing right did not escape. I'm telling you that if we do not, those of us who are righteous, who are saved, do not pray to God Almighty that something happens in our world, in, our, in this United States of America. When we go into captivity, every one of us is going. You say, there's no danger of that. We've got strong nuclear bombs. We are ready. The, the fall of America, Russia has already told us, will not occur from without, but from within. It is occurring from within already. Our families are totally, if almost, but not destroyed. The, all of these values that I'm talking about are about to be lost. We must learn to pray and trust in God. Number two, study the word. Second Timothy, Paul wrote and said, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing or handling accurately the word of truth. Second Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is inspired by God. Theopanustos, God breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness that the man and his generic or woman of God may be adequately equipped for every good work. Study the word of God. Don't just study it to get an A on a paper study it because it's your life take time to do that in church many times people ask me and I'm, I'm supposed I'm out of my league here this is another environment where do you get money to buy study books you get it from the same place you get money to buy McDonald's hamburgers the same place you get it to buy records from the same source you get it to buy all of those things you see you must make priorities in your life and those things that are important are the things that are getting your money and a lot of times people come in my study and they look up there and there's all kinds of books. And they say, wow, the church certainly has been good to you. The church didn't buy all those books. I bought many of them out of my own pocket and my own money because I want to study the word of God and know him. Number one, I said you need to do what? Pray. Number two, do what? Study the word. Number three, preach the gospel, the evangel. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. That means to tell it as a herald, to proclaim it loudly. I want you to know that in, in many parts of America, we are, they are not blessed as you are here to know what the gospel is and to preach the gospel. So many folks are into church programs and church isms and church things and get lost in the church and don't know the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is not that I can save you or that any man can save you or that any song or program can save you, but that the blood of Jesus Christ can save you. That he died, somebody said amen, I thought. That he died on a rugged cross. That he came down the stairways of heaven. 
took upon himself the form of flesh, was made in the likeness of men, then died upon the cross, went into the heart of the earth three days and three nights, was resurrected from the dead on the third day, stood around and, 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 and fellowship with people for 40 days, and then ascended into the heaven. And this Jesus is the only one who can save you. The world needs to know that message. Many times we're telling them other things. Because you know something about religion, you may be explaining to them because people are asking you, well, you know, can God make a world so big that he could not destroy it? And there you go with all of your intellect explaining the question. Let me see. We see that question doesn't need to be answered. What needs to be answered is that you need to turn the conversation to Jesus Christ. I don't know if the world could be destroyed. I don't know if he created the earth in seven literal days or seven thousand years or seven billion years, but there's one thing I do know. There is a man called Jesus who saved my soul. And I'd like to share him with you. Because many times after you answer all of the intelligent questions of the world, those people walk away. They still don't want to be saved. Preach the gospel. Number one, we're going to do what? Pray. Number two, we're going to do what? And then number three, we're going to? Preach the gospel. Number four, we're going to practice the Christian ethic. Practice the Christian ethic. 2 Timothy 2.19, Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands sure, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are here, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord abstain from wickedness. Now, I want to talk to you young people for just a moment. For I accepted the Lord Jesus Christ when I was eight years old. I went through high school knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. So don't tell me that you can't live a saved life in this world. I went to one of the baddest high schools in Akron, Ohio. It's called South High School. It's no longer in, in existence. Predominantly black high school. We were thrown over there and left. People didn't care. The teachers really didn't care. I've known students in that school to smoke pot in the room with the teacher standing there. And the teacher do nothing about it. I've known in that school for, to, I've said in certain classes where students ran the teacher out of the room. Threw milk cartons at him. Did other things until he got up and ran down the hall and I never saw him again. I imagine he retired from teaching. I will help. Tough school. All kinds of things going on. But I lived the same life and people respected me because of this. I stood on the principles of Jesus Christ. And I lived the best life I could live with Jesus Christ in my heart. I'm going to say this to you. This isn't Akron, Ohio. This is Southern California. The temptation for you to sin sexually, immorally, and in every other way is before you in a very strong way. Is it not? Is it not? Why are you looking like that? Did I say something wrong? I said something about sex. And see, when you come on a religious campus, everybody close their eyes and ears. We don't know anything about that. Sex? What's that? I've never heard. You've all heard of it and probably all done it. And maybe a lot on campus right now. If you want your life to be straightened out, if you want to 
change the value system. If you want to have impact upon America, you've got to practice the Christian ethic. You've got to live a progressively sanctified life. Now, I'm not talking about perfection. You're going to make mistakes. Things are going to happen. Get back up and keep going. But we have got to make up in our minds as Christians that we want to live right. Amen? Somebody wants to live right. All around me now, I'm dealing with teenagers. There are about, and we have been blessed. I preach about it hard. I talk about sex a lot. I think it's a problem in the church. The church doesn't talk about sex. Yet every place you look, everybody's talking about it and doing it. The church has got his head stuck in the sand like an ostrich. And everything is going on around. Jesus talked about it. The Bible talks about it. And we don't. In our church right now, we've been fortunate, I say. Yet I've got two or three young ladies I'm talking to. Teenagers. Kids having kids. 14 years old with a baby. 15 years old with a baby. And they didn't understand. They listened to me on Sunday morning, consecutively after Sunday morning. I talk about this kind of thing very frankly with my congregation. But they didn't believe it could happen to them. And they sit in my office now and say, Pastor, I wish I would have listened. I wish I would have known. I wish I would have just believed what you were telling me were true. But it's too late for them now. Don't let it be too late for you. The best part of your life is ahead of you. If you live a saved Christian life, God will bless you. Number five, let's deal with one more. Contend for the faith. Fight for the Bible. Because everything that we have in America is built on the Bible. Why are we experiencing what we are experiencing in America? Because we are drifting, floating, no, running, no, turning our back upon the Word of God. Jude 3 says, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about, about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. That means to fight for it. We've got to fight for the word of God. How many of you would stand up for Madonna? How many of you would stand up for O.J. Simpson or somebody else? I've seen people on the street, you say, you know, the greatest football player of all time was Jim Brown. Wait a minute now. Hold it. OJ is far better than you. Wait a minute now. They get into a big argument. But I've seen those same people, somebody talk about Jesus Christ and down him. And I don't believe in the Bible. And I hear no one speak up and contend for faith. The Apostle Paul said, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And that word means, a lot of you know what it means, it's apologia. It means a defense, a verbal, official, legal defense of the word of God. Can you do that? That's one reason you're in school. Not just to get a Christian education and walk out of here with something in your, in your heads and not anything in your heart. Not to walk out and say, and think that you're better than other people because you got a good Christian education. Praise God for you. But what you need to do with that Christian education is put shoe leather on it and make it real in your life so that you can make an apology, a defense for the word of God. Many people, hey, thank you, I appreciate that. Many people can't do that. They can't defend the Bible. Many people in my church, they know what I believe, but they don't know what they believe. And that comes from spending time in the Word. Number six. Women, we better go back. Number one is what? Number two. Number three. Number four. Number five. 
Number six, proclaim the Christian eschatology. Proclaim the Christian eschatology. You know why a lot of people have a lot of difficulty? Because they think this is their home. Praise God Almighty. Hallelujah. This is not my home. I'm not planning to stay here. I'm not putting money back like I'm going to be here for all eternity. Because I know that there is a God. And I know that Jesus Christ has promised to come from heaven. And to catch us up unto himself. And I am depending on that. And I am looking towards the eastern sky every day. Hoping that Jesus would soon return. This is not my home. I don't look at my house and say, Lord, i got to have a better one. I don't look at my car and say, Lord, send me another one. I don't look around myself and say, Lord, I've got to have. I didn't do that when I was your age. i got to have a wife. i got to have a husband. But I'm looking to Jesus. The author and the finisher of our faith. And some of you are so discouraged and you're so depressed and you're so down because you plan to be here when the nuclear bombs start falling. And if I were you, I'd be depressed too. That's a depressing situation. But praise God, I believe. Now you don't have, I'm not here to teach theology now. You don't have to believe this. If you want to be here when the nuclear bombs fall, be my guest. If you want to be here during the tribulation period, be here. That's your choice. But I'm saying that the word of God, I love 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, tells me that the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. Somebody say amen. The voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up in the midair to meet Christ. And so... Shall we ever be with the Lord? If that doesn't generate joy in your soul, then something's wrong. If that doesn't generate a fire in you, then your wood is wet. Somebody said, if that doesn't ring your bell, then your clapper is broken. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. Every true born-again believer is looking for the blessed hope of the glorious appearance of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is our Lord. He is our hope. He is our all in all. He is our everything. And we're looking forward to Him to come. Number one, we need to do what? Number two. Number three. Number four. Number five. Number six. Nah, y'all had trouble saying that. Eschatology. <laughs> we practice that at home. Eschatology. Uh. Number seven. Change your value system. Change it through progressive, experimental, experiential sanctification. Sanctification is putting off those things that are not like God and putting on those things that are like God. It is a progress. It is an experiment. I like the word experiment. A lot of Christians don't. They say, we're not experimenting. According to Paul, we are, because in Ephesians 5 and 10, he said, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. And that's what we're all trying to do, trying to learn what is pleasing. And it's an experiential thing. Yes, when you got saved, of course you know this. I forget where I am sometimes. I'm at the master's college. Oh, I'm looking for the master's college up there. 
And you know that when you get saved, that's initial sanctification. You know that, don't you? And then when Jesus comes, that's ultimate, final sanctification. But I'm talking about progressive experiential sanctification day by day. Changing your value systems. Our values must come from the Word of God. Now, you want to know how I'm going to do that. How do we change our value system? Well, that's Friday's message. So you'll have to come back Friday and put up with me one more time. And learn to say amen. You're on your way. Now, if the foundations of America are being destroyed, we who are righteous can do what? Pray. We can. We can. We can. And. 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 Change our values. If we do these things, God will be glorified and we'll be able to say, even so. Come, Lord Jesus. I want to have every head bowed for a moment, every eye closed. I take nothing for granted. There may be somebody here in this student body who's not saved. You've come here, you know about the Lord, you know about the Word, you had a Christian family, but you don't know Jesus Christ, or you're not sure if you know Him. I want you to raise your hand if you want to pray to receive Jesus right now. You won't have to get up or anything. I'm just going to pray with you in your seat. Maybe there's some of you right now. God bless you. I see your hand up there. I'm going to pray for you. Just a minute. There may be some more of you who have sin in your lives. Of the kind that I've spoken about. But you want to begin to practice the Christian ethic. You want to repent and straighten it out right now. If you want to do that, raise your hand. Let me see it. It's between you and God. I think God bless you. I see your hand. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you for raising your hand. I appreciate it. God pre- appreciates it. There's some, maybe there's no specific sin in your life, but you just want to say, that message touched my heart and I want to do it. I want to do those seven things in my life. Just raise your hand. Let me see it. God bless you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Let's pray right now.